we're, we're looking at what these guys were doing in the UK. So please welcome up Brent Hoberman. Hi Brent, very welcome. Please have a seat. So, you and Marta created lastminute.com. How, how long time is it now? A long time ago. Yeah, uh, yeah we were both <laughs> much younger. I'm um, 97, 98. 97, 98. And yeah. lastminute.com, it was kind of a sort of, the more we are, the, 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 the cheaper it gets. And if you buy things in last minute, you can get really good deals. Yeah, Uns unsold inventory across whether you're going away, going out, or staying in at yeah. the last minute. And, and since then, you've been an investor in, in many companies, and you've been sort of circling around e-commerce in, 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 uh, in different companies. Do you want to sort of take us through a little bit of what you look for in e-commerce companies and some of the companies you're involved in? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, obviously, what, I, what we love is, like everyone, proper innovation, um, proper disruption, and big enough markets. Now, having said that, it's really hard. I mean, it's sort of like in some business, the problem with investing today is you look at these big giants and you're like, well, Google's going to eat that one, um, and Amazon's going to eat that one, or, or eat, if you're lucky, they might buy you, but more likely they're just going to kill you. Um, so trying to find ways through that. So I guess one of the obvious trends that doesn't apply to those big giants is, is collaborative consumption. Um, so this idea of sharing what you own, and I think today is actually somebody's launch, that this, this is national, this is global sharing day or something, um, by the way, we should be celebrating it. Um, Thanks for sharing <laughs> yeah, exactly. sure. So, you know, obviously that's, you know, the big... And which industries do you think will be, uh, are most uh, adaptable for that yeah. sharing? Is it sort of, we all share cars or what will so it... So cars I love with Easy Car, we're trying that yeah. obviously. Um, I think sharing your time is the other one, obviously. There's possessions and then there's the task rabbits of this world that are about just, and Fiverr in Israel is doing very well as well in the sort of rent out your, your, your time for micro tasks. Um, and how, how does that work? What kind of time can you rent and rent out? Well, I think so Fiverr would be typical, say, you know, I want a, the, who will create a personalized message for my girlfriend and sing it for $5. Yeah, it's, ah. it's, it's, it's all sorts of stuff like that, but it, it, it's pretty big. Um, and then obviously there's accommodation and then there's renting of like garden utilities, you know, the idea that you only use your lawnmower every week and so somebody else should use it the other days and why should you all buy one? Um, so there's, there's, and, there's, yeah. and you've invested in, 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 uh, in Easy Car? Yeah, in Easy Car with Stelios from EasyJet, yeah. So we thought the brand was great. I thought the brand was great to adapt to, because obviously trust is so important in this new world. The big challenge there is trust. And how does that work then? How do, how, how do I get a car? Well, you, what you do is you would, the first thing to get, the challenge is liquidity in a, in a micro area. So you really have to do it by tiny area. You say, look, Notting Hill Gate in London is, for example, you say, right, we need, within every five, the ideal, we haven't got there yet, is within every five minutes you'd have a car that you could rent out. Um, then the question is, how does that process work? Um, do you have to install automation stuff in the car like Zipcar does, so then it's automated from your mobile and I can unlock the car from my mobile. That's great, but it's expensive and a barrier. Or you do the very simple version, which um, Stelios has come up with, which is just you have a lockbox, single-use pin code. I put, in other words, a sort of safe outside my door, and I give someone the, the, and, and the keys in that. Um, so that's, that, that's the, the, I guess that's very much the easy, his, his brand's way of the very low-cost way. And it's, you know, I'm, I, of course, love the technology, love investing for growth and think, why don't we do it the proper way? But I think there's an argument, there's a path you go through, like the popular cars, once a guy's rented his car X number of times, then you upgrade him to an automated, totally automated solution. You're also in made.com, uh, one of my favorite e-commerce companies. You can find wonderful 
design furniture at a fraction of the cost you will find it anywhere else, and it's sort of crowdsourced from designers in, in, in China and, and elsewhere. Could you sort of uh, tell us a little bit about Made? So Made, I mean, so one of the reasons why we like Made, again, when I first looked at the furniture industry in about 05, 06, just having sold lastminute.com and bought a house and thought this is, I thought I'd do everything online and couldn't because it wasn't really available. So I thought, well, and then I started talking to people in the industry and realized this industry was um, quite archaic and basically one of the reasons is the market leaders. A great thing is industry where you have real fragmentation. So the market leaders, at least in the UK, I know we're here in the, the, the home of IKEA, but at least in the UK, even IKEA only has 6% market share. Uh -huh. So you've got, and they're the leaders, so you've got a hugely fragmented supply base. So what Made.com is basically saying is, look, um, we'll go to, as a act as a platform for designers. A designer will put up a design of this chair. Enough people vote for it, then we'll say, great, we know there's demand, we'll make it, and we'll ship it straight from the factory to the consumer, cutting out the retailer, the wholesaler, and wastage, saving the customer about 70% on beautiful designer product. So that's the sort of disruptive model that, that, that we love. And if you, if you would sort of run a last minute today, or knowing what you know about e-commerce, sort of what's 3.0 for e-commerce? E yeah, you know, I was thinking one thing we could do is we could talk about all the different threads that people think are 3.0, <laughs> and then we could ask the audience to tweet what's the perfect model that incorporates every aspect of 3.0. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> we can have run a competition, then you and I could invest in that model that includes all of it. Um, <laughs> Done deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a, a, a lot in... In, in 3.0 that people talk about. So if you, if you look at like going back your question about lastminute.com, way back then, I think we were way too early in so many things. So it's quite fun to look back and think that in 2000, we did voice recognition. <laughs> I mean, you could buy a hotel by talking to our database. Um, it was, I admit, a gimmick. It was too hard and didn't work often enough. Mm -hmm. um, we did location-based deals on your mobile phone, on WAP, though. Remember WAP? Where are the phones? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was, you had the discounted deal. I could walk out here and say, I want a discounted theater, restaurant, hotel, whatever, um, based on where I am, and you could do that. And I loved the idea, but of course, it didn't work well enough. It was a gimmick again. So I think much of the thing is all these things, so much in this business is you can be too early. And, and then... You know, so if I was doing last minute, I'd be much more aggressive on mobile. Um, we've done a few mobile e-commerce investments as well, and, and more coming. Um, I, I, would, I would be desperately worried about differentiation, because what's happened now is this the web, at the time, there was friction. There was more friction in the web, so you couldn't get that sort of, that, getting that unsold hotel room inventory wasn't as obviously, and obvious as easy as today. So now you've got to try and get one step ahead. Um, I think Personalization is the other um, big trend that I don't think any travel companies got right, and it's a really strange thing. Again, when you look back, it was in our whole pitch at the beginning. We're like, we're going to be CRM. We're going to be because we'll know what, what you're doing when you're going out, when you're going in. We'll be know you better than anyone else and be able to recommend you when you go to Barcelona. We'll know what you, what bar you like in London, so we'll know exactly what sort of stuff we should recommend for you in Barcelona. Um, that still, I don't think, happens yeah. very well at all. Yeah. So this whole idea of again. Big data, personalization, customers opting in, giving up their privacy to be rewarded with, with offers. I think that's a, a, another trend that, that, that should happen. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's, there's so many more other ones. I mean, I mean, 3D, the other one I love for travel is the idea that you could have a game of Stockholm. So before I came here, I would have loved to play a game of how I can get the most enjoyment of my time in Stockholm. Okay, okay. And then actually I'd know when I arrived when I arrived, I'd know exactly what to do, and you'd have images of what the bars would be really like, and you know that, that, that sort of stuff. So, so you, th you think it's gonna, commerce is going to be more visual, and maybe moving pictures, and maybe gamey. 
gamified or, or gamified. I, I love gamification um, it is, is this wonderful word. And I do think, I mean, so if you look at other models that I love, I mean, I think Shopkick's another one that I love. You know, it's the Foursquare, and Foursquare's an interesting player in this, Foursquare for e-commerce. When I go into a retailer, it rewards me for that. But if it then really knows who I am, it then says, oh, you've just walked past this aisle. We know you watched that TV yesterday, that TV ad yesterday. Here's the product, don't you want it? And here's a 10% coupon. Mm. I mean, all this stuff is still so, what's so exciting mm -hmm. about e-commerce and talking about, I guess, e-commerce 3.0, 4.0, whatever it is, is that we know that there's still so much, so many more areas that don't deliver us as consumers a, a brilliant service. Yeah, and also the sort of the, the excitement of shopping. Uh, so my wife is a designer, you know, Frida, and, and she likes she, the excitement of just going in and understanding the fabrics and the thing and how it's structured. Yeah. It's a very large part of the experience, and that's very difficult to move online. Have you yeah. seen anybody that, that is sort of, it's good at creating the happiness of shopping online, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, obviously one of the things people are really trying to do is the shop together idea. I'm not yet convinced. Mm -hmm. um, so I see something and then online something I ask my friends, do I look good, good, good in that? Yeah, I think yeah. so that's one of the things. On the other side of that, there's, if we're talking about the future of shopping, and I was actually at a, a, a Burberry's discussion the other day talking all about it, and what you do, you see there is, well, what do you do with showrooming in-store? How do you use those vast cathedrals of shopping, which they will become more and more? Um, and there you've obviously got, as many people may well already know, you've got RFID tags, you pick up the bag, you take it, or the dress rather, you, you pick up the, the dress, you then take it to the mirror in the showroom and then suddenly you, you can swipe through, see what it looks like on the model yeah, and yeah. eventually see what it looks like on you. But the future one, the one I'd love to do on all this stuff is I'd love to, when we go through an airport scanner, I'd love them to capture my 3D body image be able to say, upload that, and I get 15% off any site that rewards me for uploading my image, and then I can see what clothes look like on me. Yeah. So I think that there's still more to be done. I think, you know, on, I, I, the other way to do it to make it more fun is probably that idea of seeing what stuff really looks like and then making it more social. I mean, we talk a lot about social commerce, and we couldn't talk about e-commerce 3.0 without mentioning that. Yeah. Um, but I think there's very few examples. I mean, if you had Facebook on, and I've asked them, that, yeah, what are the real case studies of social commerce, people really buying and transacting online. And there's, there are very few. Fab.com yeah. obviously claim uh, a mantle here, and they claim 35% of their traffic from Facebook. Mm. But they might just, the worry is today, I think not long term, today I think they're slightly an exception. The reason being, Fab has all this quirky stuff. You know, I don't quite get it. But hey, I'm not arguing with the business model. It's still 150 million or something of revenues after 18 months. That's nice. But it's sort of people want to share and talk about that quirky stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but there's not everything. You don't want to share about everything you buy. No, exactly. So it's inherently uh, it's a conversation piece, and people yeah. want to make it social. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. What do you think about the store? They're they're sort of very social, uh, and you walk around. What's the future of the stores? If well, you were a real like, estate yeah. owner that had a lot of shops, I'd cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd start using them for education, um, training, teaching people to program, um, you know, um, teaching people to do other stuff. I, I think stores are obviously, it's this, it's this wonderful trend for the consumer of showrooming. It's like you don't even want to stand in the queue, you don't want to buy it, you just want to look at it. And we've done this even, I mean, weirdly, we have done this with made.com. We have a low-cost showroom on the ninth floor of our office building um, where if you really do want to see the sofa, you can see it. You can't actually buy it there. You know, the idea is it really is, we're saying it's a showroom. And even... I was very heartened to see that even Sir Terence Conran, you know, Conran, a, a huge icon of retail, um, said that in whatever it is, 10 years' time, he didn't think he'd have any more shops. They would all be mm -hmm. showrooms. So I think it is even more than 
I think as you talk about shopping as entertainment, I think that's, that, that's what they have to do, is just yeah, make yeah. it more and more entertaining, more fun, and, and view it as a different type of experience. The, the, and the, the last layer, actually, of this, which we haven't talked about, is the other, my other favorite innovation in the space is augmented reality. So we've seen, I don't know how much over here is Orasma or Blipper or all these companies where literally I just show my phone, I, I, I would highlight my phone over the dress in the window and I could see it on my girlfriend, and you know, and, and, and or wife, sorry. Um, you know, yeah, both, both would be really good augmented reality, wouldn't it? That would be really good. Um, Please erase yeah. that from the live broadcast. <laughs> but but uh, no, so there, there's obviously a lot of things, things going to happen in shopping, and, and uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs thinking about it in their, in their uh, think tanks, wherever they are. And you created one of the most, or maybe the most powerful entrepreneurial think tank, the Founders Forum. Uh, where you bring together people like you know Wikipedia founders and Skype founders and so forth. How many? How many are you now in total? Well, it's really it's less as you know. It's really about a small number. There's a thousand people globally. So we do it in Brazil and Mumbai and New York and others. But we try and keep it to sort of very small brainstorm. So sort of a hundred of the seasoned entrepreneurs and then more excitingly a hundred of the dynamic young upcoming entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And they're brainstorming exactly as you say. What's the future of all this stuff? Helping us all think through it. And is there optimism in that group? Yeah, I think this is what the, the, the fun thing is. We invite, as you know, a few old media types and a few uh, other people, re a few old retailers, you know, old school retailers, and they just find the whole thing so energizing. Like being here, because when you're around entrepreneurs, technology entrepreneurs, all of us are thinking like Nicholas. We're like, we're so lucky to be in this yeah. sector. Yeah. You know, the rest of the world is seeing year-on-year declines in all their business and yes, cannibalization. Oh, sorry, you're having a recession. I wasn't yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. We didn't, <laughs> didn't notice it. So yeah, I think they're they're incredibly optimistic, and I think obviously very cognizant of the fact also that the other thing that a recession does is it makes, I think, big companies less innovative. Um, they're more focused on costs. Mm -hmm. So it gives even more opportunity for the startups to innovate and eat their lunch. It's, it's funny because you're, you're a magician of sorts. When we were invited to, to London to, for Founders Forum, we started out by going to 10 Downing Street and then James Cameron was sitting there. David Cameron. David Cameron. I was off at Avatar there for a yeah. while. David yeah. Cameron was sitting there saying, okay, how can we get you guys to move to London? And they were really, really pitching London in, in a very uh, sort of genuine and remarkable way. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I realized why a lot of entrepreneurs move to London. And, and you've been very involved in that. Could you share a little bit about this? Because there's a lot of, lot of uh, initiatives here in Stockholm as well going on. Yeah, and then you also had yeah. a dinner at Hogwarts. Yes, exactly. So, so we did the Harry Potter surprise thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To the actual Hogwarts dinner, yeah, and it's, yeah. you know, people were flying around. Yeah. It was, yeah. So magician yeah. of sorts. But right. how, yeah. how, are you sort of, how are you working to create London as the, the hub in yeah. Europe? Well, I think the first thing they've done that's clever, and this is not me, it's, it's the government. I think one thing which I was a little wary of at the beginning, but they've, they've built up this, but I, we talk about brands, and they built up this sub-brand called Tech City, which is East London to benefit from the Olympics. And I think that helped me as, it, it did actually, I, I'm a UK business trade ambassador, whatever that means, but, so I'm trying to help that. And it helped me when I'd go to Israel and other places like that, package it up and say, look, there's this init new initiative, Tech City, we're serious about it, and what that means is there's a, not just a location, but there's a whole load of packages that go with mm. that within it. There's the entrepreneur visas, there's the tax incentives, mm. and there's more and most importantly, probably somebody taking notes here, tax incentives, <laughs> entrepreneurs <laughs> visas, yeah. and and also I think it's the the convening power of government to get universities and the big corporates as well. To, to create the cluster. So they've gone to the Intels and the Googles and the Facebooks and whatever and said, put some offices, put some development resource, put some buildings in this area with the universities as well. And so you're starting 
this stuff, just the momentum then builds on itself. Um, but like everywhere, what London still needs, to be honest, is more billion-dollar success stories. Mm. Um, there's a great cluster in Cambridge with quite a lot of billion-dollar success stories, and there's a good story coming out of Cambridge where they're going to lead. Uh, I think they may, they've got a good chance of leading the Internet of Things because um, they're, they're quite deeply techy in Cambridge, um, and, and, and that'll need some new standards and stuff. Um, but in, in, so in London, I think the other thing, the, the amazing thing that's happened recently is many of you will probably know Joanna Shields, who yeah, runs... she should have been here speaking yesterday, uh, but she, she got busy with, with something. So she's, she's obviously running Facebook Europe, and then she, her new job is going to be running Tech City. So she's, they've, the government have persuaded her to leave a pretty big job running Facebook, actually EMEA, <laughs> and to then take a government job promoting London as a, te as a technology se center. So I think... But they've also engaged someone like yourself, you're an advisor of Cameron and Downing Street. How does that happen? Did they call you up and say, nice exit, Brent, on last minute. Could you come <laughs> over here? We need some advice. Or do you sort of uh, approach them? Or how does, this, how does this happen? No, the first way I got involved, government's always very funny, was actually weirdly with Gordon Brown, and I said to one of his advisors, I said, he's really not my politics and whatever. She said, have you ever met him? I'm like, no. So she invited me to Checkers to meet him. And then the next thing I knew, um, they had put me on the... The UK government have a government business council. I don't know whether they have that in Sweden. I think it's a good idea. It's 12 of the top business leaders, and literally it was... I'd be sitting next to Richard Branson in that sort of group, and the head of Tesco's and whatever, and thinking, my own mother would say, what is my son doing here amongst these <laughs> serious business people? But they wanted an entrepreneur, you know, yeah, a, a yeah. sort of more junior entrepreneur. Yeah. Obviously, Richard Branson's kind of is one. <laughs> um, but um, So they have that forum, and then the other one now with the Conservatives, I'm really just on the UK as uh, uh, this business trade ambassador, and yeah, they just call you up and say, we want you to help with trade. And then it's just about relationships. I think the guys in number 10 Downing Street, the interesting, there's some really bright young guys, and that's what's fun. To, it's like talking to entrepreneurs. When you find guys in government who are 30 years old and razor sharp and really trying to do something, and they've got a lot of power and authority to do it, mm. that's interesting. So I think a lot of people just get, when you find that in government, you're just like, you don't, I don't need any official role, whatever, for that. I'm just going to help, and I'm going to get, um, and because we're already doing Founders Forum, convening entrepreneurs together, it makes sense to do something mm. to, to, get, to help government more and more. Thank you very much. A lot of key takeaways in commerce and also maybe in how to make Sweden a, a tech city even more so. Thank you very much, Thanks. Brent, for coming cool. over. Thank you a lot. Thank you.